Hello and welcome to the Revival Radio Show and Podcast. Revival is a place where you can come to encounter and ponder truth. In this show, we are going to be exploring the rich abundance of truth that the Catholic Church has to offer in all her wisdom. My name is Tara Lauderdale, and every show I will be reading an excerpt from spiritual books, church councils, writings from the saints, and more, and then offering a brief commentary on what I've read. This is so we can have the opportunity to hear and contemplate truth, and then allow this truth to penetrate into our daily lives so that we can become imitators of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Revival. I am your host, Tara Lauderdale. Today we are going to jump into a topic that I actually hadn't thought of doing, but per a request by a friend, we're going to give it a go. So today we're going to talk about friendship with God. And before we jump into the main writing that we're going to be looking at on this topic, we're actually going to read one of my most favorite scripture passages. It's one of my most favorite, favorite, favorites. And it's one that I use all the time as a missionary. So I'm going to share that with you all today. We're going to read it. I'm going to talk about it a little bit. And then we're going to jump into the main writing for today. Okay, so let's begin with the prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit, come Lord Jesus. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for the gift of today. We thank you, Lord, always for the ways in which you pursue us, the ways that you seek relationship with us, and we just ask that today we might be more receptive to those invitations, that we might say yes, say yes to you, say yes to relationship with you, say yes to your commands. Please strengthen us, Lord. Guide us, lead us, show us the way, and we just pray that your will would be done in and through our lives. Please anoint us anew with your Holy Spirit and be with us, especially as we pray and listen to this scripture passage to begin the show for today. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so like I said, today we're going to talk about a very fun topic, friendship with God. And to set the tone, the foundation for this show, we're going to be reading from John 15, 1 through 17, one of my most favorite passages. It's so beautiful. I can't stand it. There's so much in it. And that is that. Okay, so here we go. Let's, let's read this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that bears no fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you, to love one another. I absolutely love that passage. I really, really love that passage. And we're going to talk about it today. We're not going to talk so much about the bearing fruit, and Jesus as the vine, but we are going to talk a lot about the latter half of that passage when Jesus says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. So we're discussing friendship with God, and what that means. So today we're going to be pulling from this awesome book. I was originally going to do a show just on friendship in general, but one of the chapters was on friendship with God, and it was suggested to me that I do that chapter, that I talk on that specific topic. So it's going to be so fun today. We're going to talk about this book, True Friendship, where Virtue Becomes Happiness by John Cuddeback. And it's a super awesome, nifty little book that is super easy to read. As I was preparing and reading through this chapter, it's just so very simple. So simple, so easy to read, so clear. And it's going to be really fun to talk about this topic. So the title of the chapter is Charity, Friendship with God and Neighbor. But I'm specifically going to be talking about friendship with God. So, John Cuddeback in his book says that as Christians, we have two special motives for examining human friendship. So, the first is that an understanding of human friendship enhances our understanding of friendship with God. So, one reason we examine human friendship is because it enhances our understanding of friendship with God. And then the second reason, the second motive for examining human friendship 
is that human friendship is a natural preparation for entering into friendship with God. So what's the common factor? It's that human friendship actually helps us understand friendship with God and helps us enter into it. So really, what he's pointing to is the fact that our friendships on earth are actually meant to orient us towards friendship with God. And that's really exciting that we're going to talk about that today. So he says that the main characterization of what friends do together, the, the main things that friends do together are share their lives, acting together, and doing this primarily through conversation. So Cutback begins by saying that Friends share their lives together, they act together, and they particularly do this through conversation. And so Aristotle, the famous philosopher, said that this raised a really serious problem. And it raised a really important question. And the question is, can a human person have a friendship with a divine person? Because, especially since the heart of a friendship is that it's two people, again, sharing their lives acting together, and doing that particularly through conversation. So can a human person have a friendship with a divine person? And Aristotle would have said, no, human persons and God cannot be friends because they're too different and their lives are too far apart. Now again, Cutback says, from the viewpoint of natural reason, that is reason that is unaided by divine revelation, what God has revealed about himself, this makes sense. If we don't pay attention to what God has revealed about himself, yes, from our natural reason, we could say, "Mm -hmm, it makes sense that human persons and God cannot be friends. That is, that makes sense. It's reasonable. It's the correct answer, Cutback says, for the human predicament without grace. But he says something extraordinary happened almost 400 years after Aristotle's analysis of friendship. And he points to these words from John 15. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I have called you friends. That passage from scripture would have really tripped up Aristotle. Big time. Because now, through the person of Jesus, human beings can actually become, human beings can actually become God's friend. Now, Cutterback says, a human person and God can be friends because, first, God has shared his life with us. We could even say that he's invited us into the divine conversation itself because Christ says for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you so we can say he's inviting us into that divine conversation this is beyond our dreams and Cutterback says we must never take friendship with God for granted as though it could have been expected I love that we should never take it for granted as though it could have been expected And I think what can happen is we can take the incarnation for granted. Well, of course God became man for us. Duh, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he die and rise for us? But he does, 
And we shouldn't take that for granted. And we should not take for granted the fact that Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. So Cudabac then turns his conversation towards St. Thomas Aquinas and how St. Thomas Aquinas understands the virtue of charity. And Aquinas says that charity is a friendship between human persons and God. He says every friendship is based upon a shared life, and God has deigned to share his life with us. Charity is nothing more than the mutual love between a human person and God that is based upon this shared life. So Christ shares himself with us by sharing with us everything that he has heard from his Father so that his joy, his happiness, can be our joy and our happiness. And now we can love him in a new way. It's not simply, Cutback says, it's not simply the love of a lowly creature for an all-powerful creator or a servant for his master. This is the love of a friend for a friend. And this love is called supernatural charity. And it's only possible because God has shared his supernatural life with the soul. And it's the highest of all virtues and it's what endures when all things pass away. And Cutabat goes on to explain the role then of mortal sin. That mortal sin actually deprives the soul of supernatural grace, which means that it loses the supernatural virtue of charity. And he quotes the Catechism, paragraph 1855, and says, Mortal sin destroys charity in the heart of man by a grave violation of God's law. It turns man away from God, who is his ultimate end and his beatitude, by preferring an inferior good to him. So this is why charity is absolutely incompatible with mortal sin. To commit a mortal sin is to act directly against the shared life of friendship. And then Cutterback points to the fact that we can see this in human friendship. We can, we know that we can destroy a human friendship by hurting the other person, by committing sins against them, by stealing from them, by lying to them, whatever it is. And those same things can actually destroy our friendship with God. And this is why the law exists, because friends are meant to have a common goal and they're meant to strive together towards it, which means they have to have fundamentally the same desires, the same likes and dislikes. And this is where law comes in. Law provides instruction regarding human goodness or virtue and how to achieve it. So the law is actually, Cutterback says, is the most misunderstood of God's gift to man. And he adds that the law was seen as guiding the people to what was at one and the same time a truly good life and a life pleasing to God. So that was in the Old Testament. We received the law. We received the Ten Commandments. And those were actually what were meant to free the people to lead them to the virtuous life. The New Testament sheds even more light on the importance of God's law because the law is actually meant to direct towards and prepare us for friendship with himself. And Cutterback goes on to say that we can say that his love provides the necessary guidelines for friendship. 
It shows us how we can share our lives with him. And that's how we should look upon his law. And furthermore, again, we could even say that this law, what God asks of me, what he asks, how he tells me, how he asks me to behave is because he wants me to live as his friend. So God asks so much of me, especially regarding how I act and how I behave. And it's because he wants me to be his friend. And St. Thomas says that the chief intention of the divine law is to establish man in friendship with God. Thomas Aquinas goes on to say that there cannot be any friendship of man to God who is supremely good unless man become good and the goodness of man is virtue. So if we want to be friends with God, it's going to demand certain things. And the law actually instructs us to what those things are, which I think is so interesting if we go back to John 15. Because in John 15, this is so interesting. Jesus is talking about being divine and his apostles and us disciples as branches. And he's saying, abide in me and I in you. But then if we were to ask, well, what does it mean to abide? How do we abide? He says, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So in other words, if we desire to abide in relationship with Jesus, to abide with him, It means we have to listen to what he says. And we listen to what he says because he knows what's good for us. Because to be in friendship with God, we have to have a shared life. We have to have shared desires. We will become like each other. But the thing is, we cannot have life. We cannot have friendship with God without the fact that God has first shared his supernatural life with us. And it's up to us to respond to what he has shared with us. And he shared with us the law. He shared with us the commandments. And again, he doesn't make those commands upon us because he's a tyrant or because he wants to tell us what to do or because his love is conditional. Like he will only love us if we follow his commandments. He's just saying, if you want to live in the fullness of relationship with me, follow my commandments. And I actually will make you the most free, the most alive if you follow those commands. And he gives us those commands because he loves us, because he knows what's good for us, because our father made us. And now he invites us to live in accordance with those laws. Which is really interesting because I think we could read John 15 and we're like, whoa, Jesus says I can only abide with him if I do what he tells me. But again, we have to remember this. Jesus is God and he's totally allowed to tell us what to do. He is. We really live in a culture that glorifies and idolizes autonomy and independence and being able to do do whatever we want. But what Jesus is pointing to is if you desire a relationship with me as I so desire it with you, 
follow my commandments. Those commandments will actually set you free. They will transform you into myself because I will provide my Holy Spirit and the life of grace to you so that it's actually possible for you to follow these commands. And then you will actually be able to partake in my own divine life. That's what this friendship is. This friendship is is transforming. It's freeing. It's renewing. It, it resurrects our hearts. Friendship with God truly brings us to life. And so that's the key towards this towards this understanding of the law as part of participating in friendship with God. Friends have the same likes and dislikes. And that's why God gave us a law. And that's why we can't be in friendship with God and be committing mortal sin. Because we were we are quite literally severing our friendship with God. We're hurting him, we're destroying the friendship by committing mortal sin. And I think that makes perfect sense, especially when we when we see mortal and venial sin in light of relationship. I think we can get really caught up sometimes focusing on theological teachings or doctrine or truths and actually lose sight of the fact that God desires a real relationship and a real friendship with us. That everything is for relationship. That's the heart of everything and we can just forget that we can get so caught up in the external works and practices that we actually forget that all of these things are so that we can be in union with God and so this is also why we are called to be virtuous and being virtuous means not only that we're doing the right things but also that we want to do the right things and we enjoy doing the right things And God truly calls us to the life of virtue. He wants our actions. He wants our actions and our desires to be transformed so that we can actually be totally united to him in all of our desires and in all of our actions. And so he calls us to make charity the root of all virtues. This love for him should be the inspiration and the goal of everything we desire and do. And Cutback says that charity is the perfection of the Christian life because the Christian life is about friendship with God. So that's that's what's at the heart of of everything. I mean, I just think it's it's unfortunate and it's interesting that we forget this very easily. And we really can get caught up in all of the external actions and forget that we're doing it because we're called to receive God's love, to cooperate with that love, and then to love him in return with all of our hearts and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. It's all about friendship. Christian life is all about friendship with God, and we forget that and we make it into something else. We make it into so many other things, but at the root is true friendship with God, really walking with him. So (laughs) we're going to pause there until we come back for our next segment where we're really going to continue talking about what it means to have friendship with God. And it's such a joy. This is such a great topic, I think. It's so needed for us to talk about. And then the next segment, I'm just going to dive a little bit more into John 15. So 
pull out your Bibles. We're going to keep reading it. We're going to keep talking about friendship with God, and it's going to be awesome. You are listening to Revival with Tara Lauderdale. You are listening to Revival with Tara Lauderdale, and today we are continuing our discussion on friendship with God, and we're basing it on this book, True Friendship by John Cudabeck and John 15, 1 through 17, which happens to be one of my favorite scripture passages. So we're going to go back to that passage because I want to talk more about what Jesus says about friendship with God. He says, No longer do I call you servants. I have called you friends. Abide in me. What does it mean to abide? It means to follow his commands. He says, if you want to abide in my love, follow my commandments, just as I have followed my father's commandments. And so I'm going to read just the first parts of that passage again. We're going to just keep talking about it because John Cudabak says that The Christian life is all about friendship with God, and we often turn it into something else. We turn the Christian life into many, many, many other things, and we forget that at the root of it all is relationship, that at the root of Christianity is the sheer fact that God desires relationship with us. That's that, and it's super awesome. And so the first segment of this show, we just spent a lot of time talking about how Friends desire the same thing. They have the same likes and dislikes, which means if we desire to have friendship with God, we are going to like and dislike all the same things as him. And beautifully, he gave us the law, not so that he could give us arbitrary commands that have no purpose, but actually so that we could be in friendship with him because he has made friendship possible by by pouring out his supernatural life to us has invited us into that relationship. We're called to respond. And to respond, we actually have to say yes to the virtuous life. And Cudabak is going to connect that reality to the fact that charity, this friendship, this love for God, is not compatible with mortal sin. And mortal sin, as the Catholic Church teaches, is the sin that separates us. It severs our relationship with God. So just as in human relationships... We can do things which sever or destroy our friendships in the same way we can do things to God, which severs and destroys our relationship with him, which is why we're not only called just to avoid mortal sin, we're actually called to the life of virtue because God so desires the good because he is goodness himself. And because God is goodness himself, we are called to to say yes to the life of goodness, which is the life of virtue, and take on the qualities of God becoming like him and doing that through the virtuous life. So we're seeking to become like God, to be friends with him, and he actually gives us everything we need to do that, namely the life of grace through the Holy Spirit, which is so great. So I'm going to put down Cutback's book for just a second. 
And we're going to turn back to John 15, John 15, 1 through 17. And I want to talk about the first 11 verses because they're really good. And as a missionary, this is my go-to passage to read with women and pray with women when I want to talk about divine intimacy. Divine intimacy being intimate relationship with God. So let's go back. John 15, 1 through 11. John 15, 1 through 11 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that bears no fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I read this passage because it's so rich and so beautiful and the imagery is just fantastic and as I said I I read this passage a lot as a missionary when I'm working with women when I'm trying to help them understand the role of the life of prayer that prayer is all about abiding with Jesus and clearly especially looking at what John Cudaback says about virtuous friendship and about friendship with God we are called to abide with Christ. We are called to this friendship with him, to abide with him, to speak with him, to listen to him, to become like him. And he gives us this great imagery of himself as the vine and us as the branches. That actually we cannot do anything without him. We're called to be grafted to him, invited to be grafted to him. And he desires to bestow his divine life upon us. And not only that, but when we enter into friendship with him, it actually bears fruit in our lives. And I often use this passage to talk about mission and how when we are intimate with Christ, that intimacy actually overflows into all of our relationships. That we actually bear fruit because we are grafted to Jesus. And bearing fruit, making him known, proclaiming the gospel is actually a natural consequence of friendship with him. It just happens. You can't help talking about the one that you love. It's very simple. You can't help talking about the one that you love. And that's what happens when we live in intimacy with Jesus. We want to talk about him. We want to make him known. And as a missionary, that's a pretty key way that I can tell if someone is abiding with Christ or not. Do they want to talk about him? Do they want to share him with me? Do they know how to share him? And and so Jesus the beautiful thing about this passage is that 
Jesus invites us. He calls us first. I think that we, for whatever reason, we just get into this habit of thinking that we're the ones reaching for Christ. That we're the ones reaching out to him. And we make it so difficult, but that's just not reality. Reality reality is that God reaches for us first, always. Always. We never take the initiative. Any any initiative that we have is actually a response. It's a response because he reaches first. And any desire that we have to respond to him is also of him because only the Holy Spirit can give us the grace to do that. We can't do anything without Jesus, which means we can't even respond to him without him. We need him for everything. We need him for absolutely everything. And that's what John 15 reveals to us. And the more we live in friendship with Jesus, the more we're going to be pruned. Whether that means that we're going to be pruned of bad and sinful habits. We're going to be pruned of certain friendships or relationships in our life that are not leading us to him. Maybe we're going to be sent a different direction as far as our career goes because our career is not helping us to glorify him. When we are in friendship with Jesus, when we're living divine intimacy, everything about our life actually changes. And maybe it doesn't change externally, but we begin to see our friendships, our relationships, our job, our families. We begin to see everything through his eyes. And we begin to see the ways that he's working in and through us and we begin to become responsive to the ways that he's pruning us and trying to turn us into himself. And what's beautiful is that he ties intimacy with him to friendship and that he actually points to himself. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He points to himself and he shows them the greatest love of a friend is to lay down their life for another And he speaks this during his farewell discourse, as I mentioned in John 15. And so just four chapters later, he's going to be hanging upon the cross saying, I thirst. And he's going to be revealing what friendship looks like upon the cross. This thirst for souls, this desire to sacrifice, to empty self for love of another. This is what friendship is, that Christ, first and foremost, lays himself down for us. He makes the first move, and that first move has infinite repercussions. It's like dropping a pebble into a pond, but the ripples go out forever and ever and ever, and they never stop. That's what God's first move is. That is what the Son's first move is upon the cross. He lays down his life for us, and it has infinite consequences. And it's up to us to respond. Are we going to say yes or no to this invitation to friendship? That's what the cross is. The cross is an invitation to friendship. I've laid down my life for you, even while you're a still sinner. Even while you're still a sinner, and I still choose you. That's what the cross is. That's the, that is what Jesus is saying to us upon the cross. He's saying, I definitively choose you. And it's up to us to say, 
I choose you too or not. It's a free invitation. Friendship with God is a free gift that's not demanded of us. It's not imposed upon us. We can choose if we want to have friendship with him or not. And the thing is, he says that friendship with him is going to lead to divine life. Friendship with him means we get to live forever with him. And that that friendship can begin now on earth where we can actually receive him in the Holy Eucharist. We can actually become one with him. I I like to also read John 15 through a Eucharistic light. That we become grafted to the vine when we receive him in the Holy Eucharist. And so know this. God reaches for you first. And maybe right now in your life, prayer is difficult. Going to Mass is difficult. Going to the sacraments is difficult. Maybe you're just really struggling with surrounding yourself with friends who actually want to pursue holiness. Because that can be very difficult. But God chooses you first, and that's what's revealed upon the cross. He chooses you first. He's saying, will you be my friend? Will you enter into a friendship with me? I want to make you like myself. I want to free you. I want to renew you. I want to give you the abundant life. That's also what's waiting for us in friendship with God. Jesus says, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Friendship with God is the abundant life. It doesn't mean it's without crosses because Jesus has said that if we choose to follow him, we will have to pick up our cross daily. But that cross actually becomes our means of sanctification. It actually becomes the way in which we're freed. We're freed from the life of sin and we actually take on the virtuous life where we not only act rightly, but we desire rightly and we enjoy the virtuous life. So much is being offered to us. And I think that's where my heart is being moved as I'm speaking. Is So much is being offered to us by God. And we have the great capacity to, to really just completely and totally open our hands and say, Yes, Lord, I want it all. Or again, barely opening our hands and saying, I guess I want this. I'm kind of scared. What sacrifices are going to be asked of me? And again, what's the cost of friendship with God? It's everything. The cost of friendship with God, of discipleship, is everything. It's your whole life. And Jesus shows us, again, that model for friendship upon the cross. What does he offer up for us? His whole self, his entire being. That's the cost of being in friendship with him is he's going to offer his whole self to us and he invites us to offer our whole selves back to him. And when we enter into friendship with him, we learn how to do that and we begin to give ourselves to him with more and more ease. It's not easy at first because habits have to be broken. We have to learn how to pray. We have to say yes to prayer. We have to say yes to going to the sacraments. We have to say yes to putting off bad and evil habits of sin. But then something shifts. And there's an ease to friendship with God. There's an ease to prayer. There's an ease to virtue. Because the more we do it, the more we say yes, the more grace is provided, the more we become like him, which means making 
decisions like him becomes easier. We begin to desire to make those decisions. And our heart becomes free. And it becomes even more capable of receiving friendship with him. Really, again, so much is being offered to us that we can say yes or no to. And so I'm going to turn back to Cutterback's book to close us out. So understanding friendship with God helps us to understand our prayer lives or how he, if we want to broaden that definition, we could say our interior lives. And so he says that just as conversation is at the heart of human friendship, so it is at the heart of a person's friendship with God. So again, I talked about this multiple time and multiple times in many of my shows that if we want to have a friendship with God, we have to talk to him. Just like any human friendship, we can't be friends with somebody that we don't talk to. And so he says that friends' speech with one another is marked by an ease, a comfort, and a joy. And also an attentiveness and a seriousness not found in other speech. This conversation of human friends provides a model, though not a perfect one, for the conversation that we can and should have with God himself. St. Thomas speaks of the interior life of the person in the state of grace as a conversation with God and the angels. He says that this conversation, while imperfect in this life, will be brought to complete fullness in the life of heaven. And I love that Cutterback says, we've got to ask ourselves a few questions because you all know that I love leaving you with a few reflection questions. So here's the first question I want to invite you all to reflect upon. Do I look upon conversation with God as essential to my relationship with him and thus as something that I should work on unceasingly? So I do, so do I look upon conversation with God as essential to my relationship with him and thus as something that I should work on unceasingly? The second question he asks is, do I participate in liturgical prayer with a spirit of entering into a unique mode of conversation with my divine friend? And he offers examples of liturgical prayer such as the mass, the sacraments, or even the liturgy of the hours. So do I participate in liturgical prayer with a spirit of entering into a unique mode of conversation with my divine friend? And then the third question he asks is, do I seek throughout my day to turn my heart and mind to my divine friend for the kind of personal contact to which he has invited us? I think these are fantastic questions. I think that we should ponder them and and I the last thing I will leave you all with is I love that he says that it should be noted that those with an authentic friendship with God always retain a proper respect for his divine majesty we do not give a slap on the back to our divine friend he calls us to the most intimate of relationships but it remains a relationship between the all holy and a sinner between creator and creature, between father and son. A son always retains a reverence for his father. Our reflections here should not be construed as suggesting that we treat God as one of the boys. Friendship with God is an unmerited gift. It should be approached with the appropriate sentiments of reverence, thanksgiving, and wondrous joy. And I love that he says that because... 
a lot of times we can think that because we are beginning to have a relationship with God or we're becoming more intimate with him, we revere him less. And that's actually not true. The deeper we enter into friendship with God, the more we actually recognize his majesty and how much we ought to revere him. And that reverence should never go away. Familiarity with God does not mean that we lose reverence for him. We should actually revere him all the more because the more we come to know him, the more we come to actually recognize how great he is. And that is such an understatement. That's the understatement of the century. So a friendship with God should never lead us to an irreverence. It should actually lead us deeper into adoration of his majesty. So that's all I have to say today about friendship with God. And I highly recommend this book. If you really want to spend time evaluating your friendships, coming to understand the role of friendship in your life, in society, this book is so good. It's really small and I pretty much... I pretty much spoke almost word for word (laughs) what's in this chapter. I was able to, instead of reading it to you all, I just kind of talked it at you because it's so easy to read. And so I highly recommend True Friendship by John Cudaback. It's so good. And I also recommend to you, if, if this show really struck you today, go back to John 15, 1 through 17, and really spend some time reading it and pondering it and asking God to help you be grafted to the vine. Ask him to increase in you a desire for divine intimacy. Ask him to increase in you a desire for virtue, the virtuous life. And if right now you're really struggling to have friendships on earth that actually point you towards friendship with God, start asking God for virtuous friends. I think that's one of the things that God most wants to give to people. (laughs) Christians, I'm not I'm not sure. But I really think he desires to give us virtuous friends because friendship is such a treasure, it's such a good, and it truly it truly draws us out of ourselves and teaches us about who we are and about relationship and about what we're made for. Friendship really points us towards God. So thank you all for listening today. It's really been a joy. I'm such a fan of John 15. So this was a treat for me just getting to talk about John 15 and about friendship with God, about divine intimacy. Let's close with prayer and that'll be that. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Come Lord Jesus. Lord God, thank you for all the ways that you seek us, pursue us desire to be relate desire to be in relationship with us please help us lord to say yes to relationship with you and to say yes over and over and over again and to truly commit ourselves to the life of prayer to the life of the sacraments help us to say yes lord to cooperating with the grace that's present in our lives help us to learn what it means to lay down our lives for love of you for love of our neighbor And please, Lord, just teach us how to be friends. Please teach us how to be good friends to those that you've placed in our lives. Please help us to cooperate with, again, all the graces you're pouring out upon us to be in friendship with you. And please, Lord, help us to always surrender to you all of our friendships and all of our relationships, giving you lordship over everything. 
We just ask all these things in your name, by your power and in your authority. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you all for joining me. You've been listening to Revival with Tara Lauderdale. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.